Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Please join me for today's Bible reading. And today's reading comes from Genesis 12, verses 1 to 5. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And the second reading today is from Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 9. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. May God bless his word to us. All right, good morning, church. Um, I have the privilege of speaking again. And um, it's great to see you all. It's truly, really, really great. Now, this is the topic was given, stepping out in faith when you don't know where you're going. And um, let's have a look at the next slide, if that's okay. I thought we'd have a look. Got a bit of echo. Um, Let's have a look at the people involved. So I put this little genealogy down. Okay. And um, you can see Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. And interestingly, in the Bible, they don't always put the kids in the order of their birth. So actually, I think Ham was the youngest, and it's the same. Abraham wasn't necessarily the eldest, but we just remember it, don't we? Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they were in the ark with Noah. And if you look at Ham's line first, you see some interesting names. You see Egypt, who goes and lives somewhere that becomes the land of Egypt. And Canaan goes and lives somewhere that becomes the land of Canaan. And then you see Shem's line going all the way down to Terah and Terah having these three sons, Abram, Nahor and Haran. And Haran dies in this place, Ur of the Chaldeans, and his son Lot gets linked in with Abram. So our story is predominantly about Abraham. Now, one thing that's interesting here is Shem, according to the biblical dates of ages, is still alive when Abraham is alive. Now, not necessarily, they weren't necessarily together, but isn't it interesting that a man who'd been on the ark uh, was still alive when Abraham was alive? So let's have a look at the next slide. We're going to move on from the people involved to the location. 
Now, William Blake, who was a poet in the UK about 200 years ago, he wrote a poem that's become very, very famous in the UK and in other parts of the world. And some, some fancy named musicians, this guy called Sir Hubert Parry and Sir Edward Elgar, you might have heard of Sir Edward Elgar, in the 1900s, nearly 100 years later, they put some music to this poem. And this is how it goes. It says, and did those feet in ancient times walk upon England's mountain green and was the holy lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills and was Jerusalem builded here amongst those dark satanic mills? Well, actually it wasn't built in England. Can we show the next slide? This is where it was built, in the Middle East. And one of the sad things has become this association of Christianity with whiteness, with Englishness, with Americanness. It, it wasn't, William Blake was speaking metaphorically, um, but this is where this journey happened. Can you show the next slide for us? Thanks, Matthew. It happened here. So if you're from this place, this story's for you. If you're from these countries here, this story is for you. This is the story of God getting hold of a man and taking him on a journey. A man in many ways no different from you. So, yeah, so what happens? God speaks to Abraham and they go from the land of the Chaldeans, which in the Bible is often called Ur of the Chaldeans. It's really just the land of the Chaldeans in Mesopotamia. Sorry, Matthew, can we just go back one slide? Thank you. And they, you can see on that second picture, the arrows showing where he's going. He follows the Euphrates and they go up to Haran. And the Bible is interesting because when you read it in the Old Testament, um, in, the, in, the, in the verses that um, Terry wrote to us, it said the Lord spoke to Abraham, but it appears that the Lord actually had spoken to Abraham before they even left Ur of the Chaldeans. So let's have a little look in Genesis 11, starting in Genesis 11:31, And so in 11:31, it says, Terah took Abraham his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. You can see that on the arrow. Ur of the Chaldeans going into the land of Canaan, but for some reason they get to Haran and they settle there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said, this is 12 verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, and you could interpret that as the Lord said, or the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country which basically means your little bit of earth, your little bit of the, this, this planet, go from your land, your little bit of land, go from your kindred, in other words, the place of your nativity, the place of your birth, the place where you're, you, know, you grew up, go from your father's house to a land, to a bit of earth that I'm gonna show you, and I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you and, you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And it's really important to see that. It's not, Abraham, I'm going to make you great and you're going to be this great man and everyone else is nothing. I'm going to make you a blessing so that you can be a blessing. 
This is, how, this is the economy of God. The economy of God is not some pecking order of have and have nots. The economy of God is I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And so he says, um, verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. It's very matter of fact, isn't it? And we'll come on to this, going on a journey where you don't know where you're going. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all the souls, or all the living things that they had, sorry, all the possessions that they had gathered, and the living things, the souls, it's interpreted here as people, but it would be wrong to think of Abraham as owning people. That is not the message here. It's that people wanted to be with Abraham. It was his household. And they, it says here, Abraham, uh, they, all, all the living souls they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Morah. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I'll give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who first appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev, which I think is the south. And then you have this bit about him going into Egypt and then returning to Bethel. And you can see that on the map. The Arizona goes down and then comes back up. Um, and then there comes a point where him and Lot are in the land and the herdsmen are saying, we don't have enough room. We haven't got enough room for us and you. So Abraham says to Lot, hey, Lot, you choose. You choose what you want and I will take the, the rest. And so Lot looks and he sees these fertile soils of the Jordan Valley. And that's, a, that's an area that included uh, the city of Sodom. And Lot chooses this fertile place um, and Ad, a, Abraham takes the rest. And then in Genesis 13, um, verse 14, we pick up where it says, The Lord said to Abraham, after, sorry, Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look to the place where you are. Look northward, southward, eastward and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Get up, walk through the land, the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. We see, we see Abraham, Abraham building altars to the Lord. We do not see him building cities, which is interesting. Now, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, also gives us an account of this. Stephen says this. He says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go to the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him interesting word, that God removed him from there into this land in which you're now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession 
and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. Now you notice in our genealogy, we had this fancy genealogy from Noah uh, coming all the way down to Abraham, but Abraham's wife, Sarah, had no children. And so that genealogy, naturally speaking, was about to finish. And you see, again, in, in Stephen's account, uh, it, Stephen says, you know, God said, I'm going to give this all to you and your offspring, even though he had no child. Um, that word where he says he removed him from there into this land, it's this concept of either moving as a settler or a captive, either colonizing somewhere or going into exile. And it, the only other time I saw it in the New Testament was when Stephen later in his, in his speech said, um, when God has spoken to Israel and said, I'm going to send you into exile beyond Babylon. And Babylon, if you like, is back to a degree where Abraham had started. Now, that's really a bit of a history lesson and isn't, isn't predominantly what I want to talk about. But what we see here is that God wants to take us out of something and into him. Now, for many Many of us, we would say, well, God's taking us out of something and into something else. But really, what he's doing is taking us out of something and taking us into him. We see um, in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua says to the people, he's, he's, they're about to go in the promised land, and he's saying to them, hey, don't forget that you have this identity. You be careful about who you are and what you are in God. And Joshua says to the people, this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. So you see, there was this sense of God wanting to take Abraham out of other gods. You, you see in, in the account of Noah's ark, God taking Noah out of a world that was going to be destroyed. You see Jesus Christ say, I am the vine, you're the branches, wanting to bring us into him and out of what we were in. And I suppose one of our challenges for us as Mooney Ponds Baptist Church is we might have this identity as Mooney Ponds Baptist Church, but does God want to take us out of whatever that identity is? and into this concept of what it is to be the people of God. And I'm not trying to say that we're not the people of God, but I'm saying there is this journey with God that wants to take us out of something and into him. And that's a, it's a wonderful thing. So we see Abraham settling in Canaan, but even when he was settled, God says, look up, lift up your eyes, walk through the land, check it out, look at it. And so let's have a look at our next slide, can we? Thanks, Matthew. This subject of blind faith. Blind faith is a phrase that you won't find in the Bible. Okay? It's not there. Now, faith, though it is the substance of things unseen, is not a leap into the darkness. We're actually called out of darkness into light. We sang earlier, didn't we? Light in the darkness. You're the light in the darkness. Charles Wesley, in one of his most famous hymns, wrote these wonderful words. He says, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. Ooh, 
I rose, I'm not sure if Wesley said, woo, I rose, went forth and followed thee. This concept of, we, as Christians, we don't go into darkness. We don't become blinded, we come into light. We come out of darkness into light. And look, the only way we can step out of the unknown, out into the unknown, is because we trust the one who we step out with. Can you show us the next slide? I've got a good, a good illustration of blind faith. This is where I grew up. There's a picture there of my mum with her previous dog, Molly, and my daughter, Amy, when Amy was very little. And my mum lives near this canal. Now, the canals were part of the Industrial Revolution. They were the early, they were before the railways. So before they had the railways to transport all the goods, they transported them by canals, and obviously the canals were a, 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 an advantage over rivers because rivers had a problem with you know flowing downstream and all of that. So they spent this time building canals, and they were for a very short period in, in time the thing. And then of course they got surpassed by something else, and we see this all the time, don't we, in in our in our culture and technology surpassing something else. So my mum, when we went back to the UK some years ago visiting. We decided we wanted to take her on holiday. And we said, we're not gonna tell you where we're gonna take you, right? We're gonna go on a holiday, on a journey, um, but we're not telling you, right? And so we, we were all excited. We, we, were, we were staying at her house. We packed the, the car up with all our suitcases and everything like that. My, my Susie, me, our two kids and my mum, we got in the car and we drove about 200 meters to the canal. <laughs> and hired a barge and went on holiday. So my mum, we literally drove, drove 200 metres or so, parked in the canal car park, and my mum's going, oh, she thought we were just turning around or we'd forgotten something at the house. And we got out and we unpacked the suitcases. We could have walked there, of course, right? We could have easily walked there. But if someone had said to my mum, um, where are you going? She would have known exactly where she was going, even though she had, we hadn't told her. Because if someone said, where are you going? She would have said, well, I'm going away with Chris and Susie. It's not about the where. Now, can we look at the next slide? Thanks, Matthew. We've got this other, oh, sorry, leave that one on there. Sorry, apologies. And, you know, when we went on our journey, we crossed that thing. That's the viaduct that was built by a guy called Thomas Telford. And that's pretty impressive for the era to build that. I mean, you, some of you guys that like, Lycia from Rome, you might say that's not impressive at all. The Romans had built something like that 2,000 years before. But for the UK, that was impressive, right? Back in then, 200 odd years ago. And we crossed that. Now, we had faith when we crossed that. And it was not blind faith. We didn't, we didn't cover our eyes and say, oh, hopefully we'll be okay. We had faith in the name of Thomas Telford. Thomas Telford built that bridge. Just like when you guys go over the Westgate Bridge, you have faith in the name of the engineers and builders of the Westgate Bridge. Just when you go and stand on that glass thing that comes out of the Eureka Sky Deck and you stand on a piece of glass 300 meters in the air, you have faith in the, the person who built it. It's not blind. You don't step out on the Eureka Sky Deck um, feed a bit of glass with blind faith. There is no such thing as blind faith. You, you've made a... Uh, you understand what you're doing. Can we show the next slide? There's another phrase that you won't find in the Bible. That's the leap of faith. It doesn't exist. And one of the challenges is that people might look at 
Christianity, maybe even other religions, and say, well, you've done something irrational. You've made some irrational leap out there into the darkness. But that's not biblical. You see, that, the woman in this slide, when she lets go of her trapeze and she's flying through the air, she's not taking some leap of, um, into the unknown irrational thing. She is actually truly taking a leap of faith, but it's not faith like people imagine it. She knows exactly what's happened because she trusts the person who's gonna catch her because they've rehearsed it. It's, there's nothing that's airy-fairy about it, nothing at all. And really, what, what, if we wanted to use a biblical phrase, well, a phrase, again, not a phrase that's found in the Bible, but a concept is the appropriation of faith, which is I'm taking this for myself, right? I've heard this, I've seen this, I understand this, and you take it to yourself. That's why when the traffic light goes green, you drive across the road, even though you don't see if a car's coming the other way, because you know that that green traffic light, it's an act of faith. When the level crossing comes up at the train track, you cross it, even though you, you, you can't see if the train's coming. You appropriate it. And so that's what happens in Christianity. It's about having faith in. And, you know, Paul went on a journey he said, I must go to Rome. I must appear to, to Caesar. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was in prison. All these things happened, but he had this clear vision of what was happening. This, it wasn't some airy-fairy thing. Um, all right. Let's have a little look at our next slide, if that's okay. To boldly go. So that, the, the two, two gentlemen on, on the left a Burke and Wills. And we should know a little bit about them because there's a little uh, monument to them in Queen's Park. Because in, in, where's my notes? In August, 1860, Burke and Wills led a party consisting of 19 men to explore from uh, Melbourne to the I'm reading slowly because I've lost my place. The Gulf of Carpentaria. And that was over 3,000 kilometers. And at that stage, the inland, the most inland part of Australia had not been explored by the European settlers. And they wanted to know where they were going. Now they set off, it says here on Wikipedia, they set off at 4 p.m. on the 20th of August, and that was from Royal Park. And by midnight, they'd reached Essendon. <laughs> because <laughs> I think they have a few setbacks. And so when I put this to boldly go where no one's gone before, they boldly went very slowly. <laughs> Unlike the crew of the Starship Enterprise, who boldly went at warp speed. All right? Now, there is an element to a journey where there is excitement, where there's boldness, where they wanted to discover what there is. And, and that is part of any journey, the joy, the boldness. But you know, Abraham was not commended for his boldness. He was commended for his faith. God commended Abraham for his faith. Now, you could look at a journey as obeying orders. You could say, well, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, we watch these, um, these military things as a kid, these comedies, and they said, you horrible little man, get yourself off the floor and get going or whatever. The sergeant major would be telling you, get out there and do stuff. But I think often the, the guys obeying the orders, they, they, they're, it's their desire to do it. There's a job that needs to be done. There's a mission 
And, uh, you know, in Isaiah, uh, there's, in Isaiah, Isaiah talks about how he sees the glory of God and he says, woe is to me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And God comes and touches and, and cleanses him. An angel, a, a cherub or something brings this living coal off the altar. And then Isaiah hears God saying, who, who shall I send? And Isaiah's like, me, 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 please, me, be me. I want to go. Isaiah doesn't even ask where he's going. He doesn't even ask, where am I going? So I think I put this slide up for obeying orders because there's definitely this sense of a mission and there's something to do. But the kingdom of God is not about obeying orders because obeying orders, it's not, it's not sustainable in the longer term. It's to me about a relationship. Can we put up the next slide? This, this is what I think it's more like. It's literally, come and have a look. Come and see, I've got something for you. I've got something for you. David in Psalm 34 says, oh, taste and see that the Lord's good. Come and find out. Come and see what you think. Um, God's saying to Abraham, Abraham, I've got something to show you. I've got something I want you to be part with. And so today I've got two challenges, or maybe they're invitations. I've got a challenge that I want to give to each of us personally, and I've got a challenge that I want to challenge the church. The personal one, the first one, the personal one, is to say if you've never started your journey with Jesus Christ, if you don't know this sort of relationship, then there's an invitation for you to have this relationship for you. This is, this is yours. It's yours as much as it's mine. It's yours as much as anyone else in, in this room. It's yours just as much. Can you pop up our next slide, Matthew? There's a bit of a, of a, of a tune theme today. Um, so far, I've just quoted a few hymns, but this not hymn. <laughs> in, um, where are we? Oh, here it is. Yeah, in 1963, so nearly 60 years ago, might make people feel old, isn't it? The British singer Dusty Springfield, that's her in the picture, she released a debut single, solo single, I Only Want to Be With You. I don't know what it is that makes me love you so. I only know I never want to let you go because you started something or can't you see that ever since we met you've had a hold on me. It happens to be true. I only want to be with you. It doesn't matter where you go or what you do. I want to spend each moment of the day with you. Well, look what's happened with just one kiss. I never knew that I could be in love like this. It's crazy, but it's true. I only want to be with you. You stopped and smiled at me, asked if I'd care to dance. I fell into your open arms and I didn't stand a chance. Now listen, honey, I just, I just want to be beside you everywhere. As long as we're together, honey, I don't care because you started something. Oh, can't you see that ever since we met, you had a hold on me. No matter what you do, I only want to be with you. It's wonderful. I, I can hear you all singing it. I... I would have put the music up, but I'm not sure how it goes with YouTube. I'm not sure if you put a song up with YouTube. But it's just this incredible sense. Now, you might say to me, Chris Harris, we're in church. Aren't you meant to be preaching from the Bible, not from that record? And I say, yeah, okay. 
let's go to the book of Ruth. So if any of you you want to come with me to the book of Ruth, let's have a look at the book of Ruth, because we're going to find this, I only want to be with you in the book of Ruth. Um, Let's have a look. So in Ruth chapter one, we see um, this man, Elimelech, and his wife, Naomi, and they go from Bethlehem, which means house of bread or house of meat, house of food, house of bread, which is ironic because at that moment in time, there was no food. And Bethlehem, you'll remember, that's the place where Jesus was born in, in, the, in the stable, in Bethlehem. So they go from Bethlehem in Judah and they go down into the land of Moab. And this man and his wife, they have two sons and the, two son, and the man dies in Moab and the two sons marry wives, Moabite wives. One was Orpah and the other one was Ruth. And it says this in, in, in Ruth chapter one, verse four, they lived there about 10 years and then both the boys died also so that the woman was left without her sons and her husband. So here's Naomi in a foreign land with Ruth and Orpah. And after that time, Naomi hears that there's food again in the land of Judah. So Naomi says, I'm going to go back to my people. And Ruth and Orpah say, we want to come with you. We want to come with you. And um, Naomi says, "But, but don't be silly. There's nothing for you. I can't have any more sons because obviously there was this sort of tradition thing that you, that you that maybe if she had a son, her daughter's-in-law could marry that son. She said, well, I can't have any more. I'm not a husband. Even if I did, are you going to wait that long? It's ridiculous. You've got, there's no point in you coming with me. Why would you leave your people? Why would you leave everything that you've known and come with me? I'm just, uh, I'm just nothing. And both of them want to come, but after a while and a lot of persuading, Orpha says, okay, I'm going to, I'll go back. And, and Ruth, though, she doesn't want to. And Ruth says this. Uh, sorry, no, it says here, Ruth, Ruth clung to her. This is verse 15 now in, in Ruth chapter 1. Ruth clung to her and she said, Naomi says this, look, your sister-in-law's gone back to her people and to her gods. Go after her. And Ruth says, please don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Because where you go, I will, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my people. Where you die, I will, be die. I will die. And there I'll be buried. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more about it. This amazing thing of Ruth saying, where you go, I go, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And we, the story gets better because they go back to Judah and you might remember that Ruth meets Boaz. He's this, this kingsman redeemer, if you like, the person who's got this responsibility to the family and the family line. And Boaz and Ruth, they marry. And Ruth becomes the great grandmother of King David. She enters the genealogy of Jesus Christ from a genealogy which we saw earlier, which was going to finish with a barren Sarah, we see Ruth, this Moabite woman, who really should have had no part in it, really. She was from Moab. She becomes part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then to finish it off, let's have a look at Ruth 4.16. In Ruth 4.16, we see this amazing um, picture 
it says, um, uh, sorry, sorry, verse 13 onwards, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who's not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He'll be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And then this incredible verse, it says, Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. So we've seen Naomi go from this incredible time of disaster and, and woe and sorrow. And here she is with this child on her lap, this child who is the grandfather of King David. And, you know, it says he became her nurse. Now, that word for nurse in Hebrew is Aman. The first place that word appears in the Old Testament is is in Genesis 15, 6, and it says this, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And that word aman, which is used in Ruth as the word Ruth is the nurse, is the same word where it says, and Abraham believed God. And you think, well, how on earth can the same word mean a nurse and believed? What a wonderful language. In English, they have nothing to do with each other. But you see, it's about this sense of someone you can trust, someone to support you, to confirm you, to be faithful with you. And so here's my first challenge, this I only want to be with you, that Christianity is about intimacy. God says, I only want, well, it's not really I only want to be with you, but can you hear the word of God saying, I want to be with you? You can hear it in the garden when God came to walk with Abraham in the cool of the day. I want to be with you. That's why there's something in our heart that reciprocates and says, I want to be with you. Okay, so there's my challenge to us as individuals. Do we know that intimacy? Have we got that relationship with God? If we don't, it's yours right this minute. It's yours anytime. God is so approachable. He loves you. He longs for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And then my second challenge uh, Matthew, if you wouldn't mind the next slide, is to the church, is to think, well, what's the alternative here? Because I think one of the saddest verses of scriptures is in Hebrews, where the writer to Hebrews says this. He says that they saw God's work for 40 years, but they failed to enter into rest. That the people of Israel went on a journey and they'd seen amazing things. They had seen God. Um, it ejects them, if you like, from Egypt. They'd seen this nation who clung to them and said, you're not having these, they're our slaves, literally turn around and say, "Get, we don't want these people, send them away, we, we can't take this anymore. They see the exodus from Egypt, they see the parting of the Red Sea, they see the drowning of their enemies. We, we heard that today in the song, didn't we? You drowned my fears in perfect love. We, the drowning, they saw the celebration that they were liberated from, from their slavery, from Egypt. They saw God's provision of the manna. They saw the quail. They saw the water from the rock. They, their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. They saw the giving of the commandments at Sinai. They saw the tabernacle. They saw the pillar of cloud. They saw the um, fire at, at night. But they didn't come to the conclusion that God cared for them. And so when it was time to enter into the promise of God, they were like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Because they'd seen God's works. They'd seen all the goodness of God. If someone asked them about it, they'd say, oh, we've seen God do this. We've seen God do that. We've seen God do the other. 
But when, when it came to it, they never entered into what God had, had got for them because they'd never come to the conclusion that God was good, that he cared about them. And there's my challenge to us as the church. It's so easy for us to not, not go quite into what God's got for us, not quite to go in and not be that blessing. Because remember, God wanted to make Abraham a blessing. He wanted to make him a blessing for people. It's not just about us. It's for everyone around us. We're to be a blessing. You are salt. You are light. And, you know, when I, when I read a little bit about the, 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 the um, scripture that this message was based on, I had this little, you know, in my mind, this little imagination of Abraham. He's sitting by the fire in his comfy armchair. He's got his pipe and his slippers. He's in his dressing gown. And God says, go to another country. And he's thinking, I'm perfectly happy where I am. And we might feel like that, some of us. But God had better. God had something that he wanted for, for Abraham. We pop up the next slide. So in summary, we, we step out in faith, right? Not because we're taking a leap into the unknown, even though it's true that we don't exactly know the place we're going. We don't step out in faith because we're blindly going where no one's gone before, but we step out because we're stepping out with God, hand in hand, um, with him to discover all that he has for us. As I become a Christian, my image of God has changed over the years, but it's changed into this, this picture here. This is what my picture of God has changed into, that I'm literally in relationship with this person who loves me more than anybody else. Um, I'm going to invite the music group to come up now. We're going to sing our last song. This is a more modern song written by not Charles Wesley or William Blake, but Darlene Check of Hillsong. And if you wouldn't mind putting the words up for us, guys. This song, it says this, thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid, bearing all my sin and shame in love you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love, Lord. Thank you for the nail pierced hands. Washed me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know is your forgiveness and embrace. Can you imagine that? Having a big hug from God. All I know is your forgiveness and embrace. Worthy is the Lamb seated on, on the throne. Crown you now with many crowns. You reign victorious, high and lifted up. Jesus, Son of God, the darling of heaven crucified. Worthy is the Lamb. Thank you, guys.